You will need your Bible and you will need it open. We are in Corinthians chapter 6 this morning. And um, as we as we have a look at this passage, we need to uh, remember that it's in context. I know it's been a number of weeks since we've been in Corinthians. We're going to recap a little bit, then we're going to jump in. And one of the things which is sitting in the front of my mind is this difference between my own style and what I've witnessed now in India and in other churches, that it's easy for us to build the complexity of our thinking about God without actually having transformation of heart. So this morning, we're going to have a look at the blatantly obvious stuff. Sound good? Three of us. Wonderful. Good? Okay, good. I'm all for complexity, but complexity does not often transform us. It is our humility being prepared to come before the Lord and let him do maybe that one thing that needs to happen in our heart. Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to be reading the first 12 verses up here on the screen. Our reading this morning will pick up from verse 12 going onwards to verse 20. So read along with me. If any of you has a dispute with one another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Paul here talking about lawsuits happening in the Uh, amongst believers, or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Again, we've gone in in detail to have a look at what's going on here and the points that Paul is making. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another to court and this in front of unbelievers? The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know, and again, we'll see this phrase a few times throughout the rest of this chapter, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And when last we were in Corinthians, that was this idea that we opened up, is that God has actually picked you up. This is not who you are anymore. So let's pick up our reading this morning at verse 12, because Paul, again, is critiquing the behaviours going on in the church, which had come in from people who had given their life to the Lord, but they had not left things behind in their life. They'd given their life to Jesus but they had not then evicted the other things out of their life that they were supposed to. Instead, they had found ways of justifying it. So here is what Paul goes on to say. As he quotes the Corinthians, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Um, And I'll give you one guess why we made sure that the kids could go out this morning if they wanted to. Paul makes some very blatantly obvious points here. And his obvious points are putting back to the Corinthians to say, you you have not yet got hold of that because you now belong to Jesus, there's supposed to be an effect and that the effect of belonging to Jesus actually affects people's sexual behavior. It affects what they choose to do with their body. Let's put some context around this a little bit because we're talking about the Corinthian church here. So if, if we wind back and we remember some of the things that we know about Corinth, Corinth is a trading port. Corinth is a mishmash of all sorts of different cultures. Corinth had a huge boom period and they were a strategic location that armies uh, would fight over. They, they had uh, recently been kind of re-gifted this second life by Rome and they were looking forward to becoming wealthy again and being powerful and influential again. And right at the top of the hill um, is the temple. Um, and depending on which commentator uh, and which period of time you're talking about, the worship that happened at the temple happened for, for different goddesses. But the way that temple worship happened is part of what Paul is strategically addressing, not only in this part um, of the book of Corinthians, but as we get later on, we need to keep in mind some of the context that's going on. Part of the understanding that inhabited the entire ancient Roman world, anyone who was educated had received really some form of what's called Platonistic dualism. So who here has heard of Plato? Awesome. Um, Not the kind that we bring to a church lunch. This guy was a Greek philosopher. And his attitude was really simple. He put forward uh, an incredibly simple idea that there is the world we see and that is the world that is physical and, and tangible and corporeal. But there is this other world, and he didn't call it the spirit world. He called it the world of the forms, the realm of the forms. And that if something is going to exist in the physical world, it has to exist in the realm of the forms first. So if you go home and you make a coffee table, that coffee table existed up here before you made it. You already had a picture of it floating around in your head. That's kind of like the realm of the forms, but the realm of the forms is the mind of creation or the mind of God. Again, depending on which point in history you have a look at. So what that means then is there is this really um, strong belief that the physical world, and let's call it the spiritual world, have some relationship with each other But when the physical world passes away, the spiritual world is what's left. Now, this idea is not Christian. Sometimes we've inherited um, traditions in our own faith that one day when my body disappears, 
I'm going to be alive with the Lord in heaven for all eternity. Scripture teaches us very clearly there will be a new heavens and a new earth. The picture is that the throne of God comes to earth and that we have a body and we rule and reign with Christ. And our new body is modelled after the resurrected body of Jesus. He's the firstborn from among the dead. So the Christian teaching around death is that when we are without a body, that is temporary, that our body is valuable. This is the whole point that Paul is getting at as we have a look at this passage of Scripture. This, this Greek idea that your body doesn't mean anything and doesn't affect you is not what we see in Jesus. When we look at the resurrection, we see that our physical bodies mean something. Our physical bodies are worth something to God. And if physical bodies weren't worth anything, Jesus never would have come back with his. So we need to let, let maybe some of the things that, that we've inherited be reflected on by what Paul is writing here. How does the realm of the forms affect the group of people that, that Paul is writing to? So one of the things that came into this belief is that if the physical world and the spiritual world are separate, and if one day we're going to shed the physical world and we're all going to live in this realm of the forms, we're going to live in this spirit realm, it doesn't really matter what I do with my body. What matters is knowledge or gnosis, that the way that we grow or the way that we ascend or the way that we build ourselves spiritually is through gaining information. So like any group of people, they went, this was less of a deliberate decision and this is more just kind of where they eventually wound up. They said, you know what? So if I can gain knowledge using this body to do anything and the real me, the spiritual me is untouched. And so you have practices that appear in the Greco-Roman world where people would eat particular things or be involved in ceremonies, literally stabbing a pig to death and consuming the flesh, nasty stuff. Or they would go to a temple where the temple was surrounded by, some commentators say, up to a thousand prostitutes, and they would go there as an act of worship to the God and believe that no matter what they did with their body physically, no matter what they did to anyone else's physical body, it did not touch their soul. They gained knowledge and knowledge is good. Can we see that, that this affects how we understand who Paul is writing to here? It means that, and we'll get into this down the track, that if there is someone who is an, a, an influential and powerful and educated and highly esteemed woman who is involved in a centre of worship like this, and then she comes into the Christian church, that there are some boundaries and rules that need to be rewritten that there are some things that need to be shed out of that culture, things that need to be shed out of that definition of worship and appropriateness. There's some re-educating that needs to happen. So we have this idea about um, gaining wisdom and being able to do whatever we wanted to with our physical bodies. And so prostitution is a big part of worship in the city of Corinth. And it was completely legal, by the way, it was endorsed, it was, it was promoted, is that if you were uh, someone who, who was, say, running a local business or if you were someone who was involved, who'd recently moved to town, if you were someone who was a trader who came in, you would go to the top of the mountain and you would offer worship. And that was their normal everyday practice. This is part of the reason that Corinth was as wealthy as it was. It says that the wealth of Corinth is something that the women at the temple earned because people would come and they would worship at the temple of Corinth. 
So Paul says these words, quoting the Corinthian church, I have the right to do anything. This is what they had done with their understanding of the grace of Jesus. Jesus forgives us for anything. The grace of God is upon me. The blood of Jesus covers all my sin. I have the right to do anything. Are they correct? They have laid hold of grace in a powerful way. Yes, but this is what Paul is correcting. They have got hold of the blood of Jesus and they have not taken the blood of Jesus and responded to it appropriately. They have found the blood of Jesus a way for them to continue doing whatever they want to do and Jesus is going to pick up the tab. I have the right to do anything, you say, but... Again, I've highlighted these red words in here because they are contrasting terms. Paul is contrasting their existing behaviour with what should have happened. I have the right to do everything, but not everything is beneficial. I remember years ago, my dad got on my case about this. As a young man, all of my mates were going off and were partying hard. And, um, and I said, Dad, look, why, why can't I go off and, you know, and drink with my mates the way they're drinking? Dad said, son... I have the right to do everything, but not everything is beneficial. You can drink as much shampoo as you want. You can drink as much motor oil as you feel like. If you want to smoke, I will buy you a rope. I will find an old tire for you, my dad would say. Not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but this is, this is a really key verse when we come to having a look at our own behaviour but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, that's whether it's eBay, whether it's gambling, whether it's a particular substance, whether it's an unhealthy behaviour. If something is master of you, you have ended up in a space that God, God has not blessed you into. If you end up in a space where something is master of you, more so than the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are in a space that God has not led you into. You have not arrived there because of your obedience to the Lord. And this is what they would say. Again, and you can hear the Platonistic dualism in this. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. Going, it doesn't matter what I eat. You know, the food was made for my stomach and my stomach was made for food. They'll both be wiped out. It doesn't matter. And Paul here says this, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And here is Paul's point, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Your body matters. Your physical body means something. It means something. It is of value to the Lord. It means that he has a plan for your physical body. It means that your physical body has a purpose and it may not be what you want. Here we have a group of Christians, people who professed faith in Jesus, going and doing what they wanted to with their bodies. And here Paul is saying, no, 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 no. No, 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 that's not the way it works. Verse 15. These are Paul's obvious points. I said we're going to look at the obvious stuff. These points in green are things that Paul expected them to already have their mind wrapped around. So it's good for us to check, is this obvious for me the same way it was obvious for Paul? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? That literally means like a member of my body is my arm or my leg or my head and my neck. Your 
body is a member of Christ himself. Your physical body belongs to Jesus. It is attached to him. It is attached to Jesus. Then Paul says, shall I then take the members of Christ, it's not your body, it's Christ's body, and unite them with a prostitute? Paul is putting some clarity around the behaviours that's going on. There's actually been something else happening that maybe the Corinthians had not been aware was really going on. Verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Um, Quoting Genesis chapter 2 there. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So if the spirit of Jesus is inside a person, is inside me, is inside you, then it means that I am attached to Jesus because his spirit is inside of me. This body is now an extension in in the physical world of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul is saying to people that they are taking their body, which is now an extension of the Lord Jesus Christ, his arm or his leg, part of the body of Christ, and they are making decisions to attach it to a prostitute, actually as an act of worship of a false god. You can see that there's some implications here that they maybe had not thought through. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Our body means something. And this word here in yellow, flee, this is the only command Paul gives in this entire section. This is his one instruction, run, flee, get out, run away, run hard, go quickly. Don't hang around. Don't think that you're going to manage it. Don't go, oh, you know, it's okay, it's, it's not that bad. It's really simple. Flee. Flee from sexual morality. If there is one thing to take home this morning, it's this. Flee. <laughs> Flee from it. Don't mess with it. Paul then unwraps this idea a little bit for us. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. If your body means something to the Lord Jesus Christ and if his spirit is inside of it and now it is an extension of the Lord into the physical world right here and now, you are literally his hands and his feet, then when you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. Your body has become something sacred. Again, we can see that this is... a radically different to what our world tells us. Our world tells us, do with your body whatever you want. Whatever feels good, do that thing. If someone is trying to stop you from doing what you want, that person is wrong. Who do they think they are? It's moments like this where you sort of go, you know what, you're telling me, some of my mates tell me that that faith in Christianity is a crutch for the weak. And I'm going, seriously, this is difficult. If this was easy, everyone would do this. When we give our life to Christ, I am not my own. This body is not just my property anymore. It means that instead of giving in to drug use and letting that be master of us, we give our body to the Lord Jesus Christ and what we do is we aim for sobriety, being sober rather than being drug addicted. We want a journey in that direction. Rather than giving our body into drunkenness, we practice temperance. We practice wisdom and self-control to not be mastered by it. 
rather than practicing gluttony, we bring fasting into our world to exercise self-control. And rather than giving into adultery or fornication, having sexual activity with someone that we are not married to, we honour God. Verse 19, do you not know, is it not obvious that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. This is right where we find that phrase. Sometimes it turns up on like a little business card that someone gives you and that we put on the back of the toilet door and we go, yes, I'm I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. There are really clear, straightforward implications to that. Am I living as though I have been purchased for a price, as though my body is actually something sacred and special to Jesus? Therefore, honour God with your bodies. When we look at the resurrection of Jesus, we see that the physical body is important. Do we live as people who who have grace on them? Absolutely. I want to make this point really clear. Paul is not saying, do these things and you will be right with God. Paul is not saying, do all these things and then, and then you will be more saved. Paul is saying, do these things because God has already saved you. Do these things because God has already washed you. God has already shed his blood for you. God has already come looking for you. This is not trying to earn something from God. This is us going, actually, I now want to live in the effect of salvation. I want to live out of knowing that he loves me. If that is something that you personally are really wrestling with, don't Don't fake your heart being in a space that it's actually not in. So if you go, you know what, here is all this stuff that that is going on in my life or has happened in my life historically, but it does not fill me with joy when I think about that God has got saved, uh, that God has saved me. I know it up here, he saved me and he loves me, but you know what, there's not a passion burning in my heart that I want to live as a transformed person. Don't pretend that that's not what is going on. Again, we talked about this before. We end up with, with an incredibly complex set of, of, of things going on in our head, but in our heart, something hasn't clicked. That's okay. This, this is good instruction. We can put this in place and, and we can actually live a more holy life. That's fine. But this is supposed to be out of the overflow. And if we are not overflowing, then we need to have a look at that first. And that's Okay. We don't do this to try and earn brownie points with the Lord. We do this out of the overflow. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 13. We're going to look at this quickly, then we're going to wrap up this morning. John chapter 13, and we're going to look from verse 6. So Jesus gets down on, on his knees as a servant He wraps a towel around him and verse 6, John 13, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Peter is saying, I'm too unclean. You should not be doing this. Lord, you should not be engaging with this part of me. Jesus answered, unless I... 
I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Close your Bible on your finger, otherwise you'll read on because it's awesome. There is a difference that needs to happen in our heart. And again, this is pretty simple, straightforward stuff this morning. The difference that needs to happen in our heart is whether or not we are wanting to continue doing whatever we've been doing, whether it's adultery, whether it's fornication, um, whether it's sleeping around, whether it's having an affair, whatever it is, whether it's going um, to procure the services of a prostitute, whatever has been going on, we either want the Lord to wash us or we don't. And if we actually don't want to be free from sin, to have our heart free from sin, to have our mind freed from sin, the power that sin has over us, if we want to just keep doing those things and to keep like the Corinthian church saying, oh, you know, grace is on us, then it means we're really wanting to continue being God in our own life, but for Jesus to continue picking up the tab. We really want Jesus to continue paying the bill for the sin that we want to keep indulging in. And realistically, nothing will change unless our heart changes. Nothing will change unless our heart changes. And if our heart changes, if we go, okay, I want the freedom that Jesus promises, that he will not just free me from the judgment of sin, but he will free me from the power that sin has over me that he will not just free you from the judgment for sin, but he will free you from the power that sin has over you. If you want that, then he will come to you and you will start to live that and to walk in that. That is what he promises. How available are we? Um, We're going to wrap our service up in just a moment. And this morning... Um, I'm not going to ask the musos to come back up and I'm not going to finish with a benediction after we do a final song. I'm going to pray now and then I'm going to ask Chris to play a video clip and this is kind of a soft close for our service this morning because some of us have had things go on in our life that maybe the Lord would have us revisit and confess that maybe we need to deal with, not necessarily meaning you need to come down the front and talk to me, certainly space to do that about this or about anything else. But we're going to pause and not rush away from this space because we've asked the Lord to meet with us and to be at work in our hearts. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to have space right now for the Holy Spirit to speak with us about everything we've just read, about the state of our own heart, about the decisions that we want to walk in. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to play the song. As that song is playing, if you need to head out, that's perfectly fine. Um, I know some people are going to head out and start doing morning tea stuff. That's all right, not a problem. But let's pray and then let's pause. Lord Jesus, you know the land that we find ourselves in that tells us that anything we want sexually is fine. And increasingly, people are being schooled from their youth that that is what it means to be wise. That that is what it means to be to be a free person. That so long as all of these things are legal, the same as stuff was legal for Corinth, everything's okay. 
But Lord Jesus, we want to be your people living against the tide in this land. We don't want to give in to every sinful thing that comes into our mind or our heart. We need your strength, Lord God. We need your Holy Spirit to be at work inside of us. So, Lord, we bring to you right now our sense of surrender. However big or however small, however much we are wrestling and fighting against you in our heart. Lord, however much control we still want to have, please meet us and please speak with us right now.